Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is the Fundamental Nerd Podcast. This show is about anything and everything nerdy. That's right. Anything and everything nerdy is fair game. Like books. Or movies and TV. Or music. Or games. Or steampunk. Or steampunk books. Steampunk movies and TV shows. So much steampunk. All the steampunk. Every day. Every day. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. And this is the uh, Fundamental Nerd Podcast, brought to you by two fundamental nerds. Yep, there are two of us. <laughs> there are there are two of us here right now. Yes, yes. All right. um, well, today um, I'm going to be playing one, and I want to talk a little bit about Doctor Who. Um, I can talk hours upon hours on the subject, so I'm just going to go and, into... And you, in fact, have talked hours and hours on the subject in the past, so... Yes. Um, but I'm just going to go into the kind of fundamentals. What is Doctor Who and where should you start if you don't know where to start? So this is kind of be a beginner's guide to Doctor Who. And then, yeah, I'll be doing a lot more topics online for Doctor Who and doing a lot more in-depth stuff. But this is a good place to start since it's where to start. So I think yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as someone who's known you for 10 plus years, I still actually haven't absorbed very much Doctor Who content. So I might actually be learning something new from this realistically. Yes, yes, good, good. Nerd. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of uh, the David Tennant stuff, but I haven't really watched anything beyond that, so, you know. Yep, and um, yeah, I really, I know, the show is my, my absolute favorite show, period. Hands down, no other show I, 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 I that I love more than this, and I've watched it since before I could talk, so it was, uh, it's always been in my life, so I am very passionate about it. And you do also design games for it as well, so... Yeah, I have yeah. um that Pub- was a published games goal of my... published games specifically is the better yeah. way to put it. So Yeah, publisher Gale Force Nine um published um, my Doctor Who Time of the Daleks board game and it's a point of pride. Um I've always wanted to build a game. I think I was ten years old when I made my first Doctor Who board game and then I actually made one and it got published and it sold all around the world. It's amazing. People actually like it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh cool to like hit those like lifetime achievements in your life, but yeah. Yeah. I should have had more than just that on my lifetime achievements. Like, what do I do now? I did well, the that's, thing. Well, <laughs> that's the great thing about the achievement list. You can keep adding on to it, right? So, you yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. And you, you should, just, you you should just... always make stuff. So, uh, what's uh, Player 2 up to today? Um, I'm actually going to be, um, in the second half of the show, I'm going to be talking about a trilogy that's called the Leviathan Trilogy. It's by uh, an author named Scott Westerfeld. I think oh, this cool. is his only real, like, venture into, like, fantasy fantasy he's written some other like young adult style books and like some other trilogies and things like that but it's just a really cool setting it's a steampunk setting it's kind of my bread and butter um it has this really cool setting with like these different like living creature things matched up against like weird walking mechs and it all kind of takes place in like yeah, the, uh, cool. yeah it takes place in like the uh the the lead up to world war one like the the months and years that led up to world war one it's pretty cool so. Yeah, when you um, suggested this topic, I went ahead and downloaded it on um, Audible, so I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. to start reading the series. Yeah, um, and yeah, every time every time you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to, I want, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful book. Um, I also recommend picking up the book itself, whether you get it from the library or something like that. But there's some really beautiful illustrations in there done by an author named 
um, Keith Thomas. So they're they're really cool. They kind of show off some of the different creatures that you just have a hard time imagining, even with the words, because he creates these really like mm-hmm. magnificent creatures that you just can't picture. Even though he like does such a good job of explaining what they are until you see the picture, you're just like, oh, that actually matches exactly what he said. But that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm an adult, but I do enjoy pictures in my books because it helps me visualize things. Yeah, I mean, I have a very vivid imagination, but they're. We'll, we'll talk about it more in the later, but suffice it to say, there's like six legged dogs and like things like that that exist in this world. So, it's one of the things like I will like a movie, even though I've been told like it's nothing like the book, it's horrible. I'll still like it because it gave me a visualization of the world that I, I've been only had in my mind, but to be able to see it and yeah. actually see like where it's going, and then it's ones that do it really well, like Lord of the Rings, where you get to see and see the Shire, and it's like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be like, and it was, it, I love those moments. Seeing an actual visual thing is so cool. And having that in books, yeah. yeah. Even uh, books for young adults to adults, I think, you know, having pictures, just do it. Do it, do it. Hi, like pictures. Get, it get an illustrator. It, it's totally worth it. If you have a friend that does art, do it. It's cool. Let them grow your yeah. characters, but... But that's for the second half of the show. We're getting carried away here. Let's let's uh, get yeah. to Doctor Who. We're going to talk Doctor Who right now. Your bread and yep, butter. Definitely. I know you've got some uh, major bullet points here for like where to start off. So, yeah. Um, for those unfamiliar with Doctor Who, I'm going to kind of go into a very basic "What is Doctor Who?" so you know what we're talking about. Um, Doctor Who is a British sci-fi sh- um, show that started in 1963. It took a small hi- hiatus. A hiatus. I don't know how to hiatus. say that word. Hiatus. 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 There we go. I've, it's one of those words that you say in your mind a lot, but you don't actually say out loud very often. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wait, how is this actually pronounced? Hiatus. There we go. It took a hiatus. And then in 95, oh no, 96. In 96, they tried to bring it back. They did a made-for-TV movie with Paul McGann, and it didn't quite make it. It was going to be a, a joint operation between Fox and BBC. Can you imagine if that actually became a thing like Having more shows between Fox and BBC would be so weird. But um, it was during the whole X-Files range and stuff like that. So it was kind of a more a dark and gritty film style of Doctor Who. I think um, the f- Doctor gets shot even in that. So it was oh. definitely a weird time period and a weird um, thing to do. And it didn't quite just take off. And then it, again, later in 2005, they restarted the show and it just it just happened. And it's been going ever since. So the show has a long life to it. Um, over I, almost sixty years. It's coming up on sixty. I just did the math in my brain. So two years to yeah. sixty. So yeah, it's very cool. And um, and so yeah, so the show has a lot to offer. The actual premise of the show is it's basically a sci-fi show where you follow an alien who travels in time and space, and he can go anywhere at any time. So he can go in Earth past. He can go into an alien starship far away in the distant future. So. It doesn't really have any kind of like set rules for what they can write about, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can speak from uh, past history watching the show. They do everything from covering like things that happened in World War Two to like jumping forward to like the destruction of Earth itself. Um, there's a whole episode based around that, um, and then they go to like dinosaurs and things like that, and then they even just go to these like weird planets off in the ether. So yeah, interesting. It's, yeah. And um, one of the things that they do in the show to keep it fresh, to keep it going every year, um, every um, few years, um, they change the Doctor. He regenerates into a new character. So the the main character, character of the Doctor is an alien. He's from a planet called Gallifrey. And whenever he dies, 
he can regenerate into a new body and basically starts a new life. And so the body has different personality traits, but he's always the same kind of person. He's always a good person. He's always the doctor. He's always intelligent. He's always doing so his cardio. Fan, always doing his cardio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a fan, um, you don't feel like you lost the main character. You always feel like the, the main character is still there. So in a way, you're still following that character's story. So you still have that connection throughout the series. But at the same time, they're able to have a new actor come in and kind of refresh the series and even um, change up the head writers every once in a while to give more, um, more of a diverse storytelling aspect to the show. So the show keeps itself fresh that way. It also makes it quite unique because since the show kind of resets itself every three years, um, on average, some are longer, some are shorter, mm-hmm. it gives you a lot of opportunities of jump-in positions, of points of the series. Because it's still, even in today's modern day, it's still very episodic. So you don't feel like you're going to miss out on plot, like, if you jump in. Yeah, I know there's, like, a whole thing with Bad Wolf. I don't remember if they, like, resolved that story arc in, like, some of the newer episodes. I'm sure they had, like, long story arcs in the past episodes that, uh, you know, started back in the 70s and 80s. But Bad Wolf is a good um, example of the kind of connective storytelling they do, which is a name that you hear once in a while and it means something in the last episode but if you don't know anything about it and you just watch that last episode you don't really lose anything there's no like it there's no like connection like you don't find out like oh this person doesn't talk to this person because in episode three this happened you know that kind of thing there's no none of that long history so you can jump in really at any point and kind of watch the show without um, losing very much so that might be a little bit different um there's a couple seasons um the Key to Time series and the Trial of Time Lord series were kind of connected in the old classic series. And then the next season that's coming up um, is going to be a long story arc, is what they're saying. It's going to, from, from the beginning to the end, it's going to be one continuous kind of story. So that's mm-hmm. going to be kind of an interesting new departure. But normally, um, there isn't any kind of connected plot line or storyline. And at the start of any Doctor's Regeneration, the show kind of resets. So you can kind of just start at any Doctor's Regeneration episode, like the first episode, and you kind of get an introduction to the show every single time and it's great and it's even for like old fans seeing the doctor regenerate into a new doctor is a fun experience he's changing clothes he's trying to figure out who he is and it's just a fun episode yeah it's it's really cool how they kind of work around this whole concept because you can tell they kind of wrote this show with like longevity in mind and they kind of knew like you can't have the same um, actor forever even though you know it's supposed to be a timeless being so I know it's kind of breaking the fourth wall on that, but it's kind of a nice workaround to like get a new actor in there, kind of freshen it up and kind of keep the story going, but like in a way that makes sense in the show. Yeah, if you want to figure out how the show is, um, well, how it started and why it works the way it is, there's a great special called Adventures in Time and Space that they did a live dramatization of Doctor Who when it started. It talked mm-hmm. about how they had the first female ever producer at the BBC and how um, the show kind of was created, and how Regeneration came up, because originally, of course, that wasn't a plan. They was going to do a show like any other show, but the actor they got was quite old, and he started getting sick near the end, and he couldn't do episodes, and there's even episodes where he was so sick that they rewrote the whole episode and had the doctor lay down in a bed, put a blanket over a mannequin, and the companions did the episodes and stuff like that, because the doctor couldn't do it. And so there's a lot of interesting kind of behind the scenes stuff there but it's really well done it's dramatized so it's not like it's a documentary mm-hmm. and yeah it's a good way to see how the show started yeah, but if that's... you want to start the show oh, sorry. yeah that's 
Oh, I just I just like that background information. I never knew that that's kind of how it went. I mean, it's you know sad that that's the story of it, but you mm-hmm. know how they were kind of able to like move forward and kind of keep making because you know it's one of those things where I'm sure the actor wanted the show to go on. You know, it happens a lot. So, and oh, also, if you're a Doctor Who fan, um, the guy who plays the Doctor in that um, documentary is the guy who played Filch, um, the caretaker in Harry Potter. Yeah. So um, it's a great actor. He does a really good job at playing um, William Hartnell. And I highly suggest watching that. But if you want to um, watch the series, if you want to get into the series, um, there's a couple questions I would ask you. If you like old sci-fi TV shows, if you like old movies, then yeah, I would start in the classic series. Um, Always could start at episode one, which is always the best place to start. But if you want to start somewhere a little bit more advanced, a little bit more um, well-rounded in the story, building an arc, you could always start with Tom Baker. Tom Baker is a classic doctor. He has probably the longest run as the doctor. Maybe David Tennant and him might be equal. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, his episodes are just fantastic. And you have great writers during his run. Um, Douglas Adams is one of the ones that kind of comes to mind right away. He wrote a few of Tom Baker's episodes. And um, can't think of anybody else. There's a ton of them, of course, but I can't think yeah. of them off the top of my head. I mean, Terry that's, that's how shows guys. used to go back then. They just had an awful lot of, you know writers that would come in and out of the show and things like that um for anyone and same who, with the modern show yeah and uh tom tom baker was the the gentleman that wore the long scarf right am i thinking yep, of the right one yep. yeah yep he's the fourth yeah. doctor yeah i think he's probably the uh the most cosplayed doctor i would say although I yeah think, most likely yeah. I, th- I feel like david tennant's getting up there a little bit more but david tennant is, uh, is getting up there but the problem with david tennant and the thing that makes Tom Baker such an easy cosplay is that he is so iconic. He has the long mm-hmm. scarf, he has the curly hair, he has the hat, the jacket, everything that kind of forms a very unique um, look to it at the end. Where David Tennant is really just wearing a suit with good hair. And so, um, so yeah, you can definitely see David Tennant a lot in um, stuff. But yeah, you'll definitely see Tom Baker and recognize Tom Baker more often. Yeah. I, um, I feel like... I feel like a long time ago you lent me a DVD collection with Tom Baker where he interacts with some Silurians. They are the lizard people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's I probably think... actually the third Doctor, but yeah. Yeah, but I, I definitely oh, maybe remember... maybe it could be Tom Baker. I, don't yeah. know, I just remember you sharing some old Doctor with me and me like thoroughly enjoying it and be like, this is interesting. I don't know where to find any more of this, but maybe Andrew will keep lending more stuff to me. Yeah, and now that my DVD collection is here, I can definitely lend you yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Oh. If you're into, um, if you're not into the old sci-fi stuff, if you don't like really long, because the old episodes were multi-part episodes, so a story could be like t- two to four to eight episodes, kind of strung together, and that can be because they're I think about twenty-five minutes, thirty minutes long each, so it can be a very long, so it can basically mini movies in the old episodes, so they can be um, quite a long video. If you want something a little um, shorter, I would go with the new series. The new series is very episodic where it's just one episode, one story for the most part. There's a couple two-parters, but for the most part, it's one per, per one. And you can pretty much start on any of the Doctors. David Tennant is probably the most popular and probably a good one to start at if you don't want to start off at the very beginning. Christopher Eccleston, though, is a fantastic Doctor. I, and, I enjoyed yeah, his all... episodes a lot. He was actually probably one of my favorite Doctors I've seen so far. So, Yeah. And it's really um, it's really great to see that Christopher Eccleston is getting back. Like, um, in the first series he left and he wasn't very happy with bbc there was kind of a little division between him and the show and he didn't want anything to do with doctor who the fans or anything and kind of just dropped it cold turkey 
Um, but recently he's been doing stuff. He's doing radio programs. He's been reaching out to fans and stuff. He's been really coming back into it. And it's really cool to see him engaging with the fans because he was never really angry at the fans. He was angry at BBC the, and the, the way the they situation. treated actors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a situation where he, I think he felt that the actors were only being chosen from ones that went to prestigious schools and stuff like that. And he felt like acting should be for everyone. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of like butting heads he had with uh, the BBC. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my favorite fond memory of him as an actor actually is he was on an episode of, um, oh my goodness, what's the name of that car show? Um, the, the British show where they interview. Top they, Gear. Yeah, Top Gear. He was on an episode of Top Gear and they had to bring in a special car for him because he didn't know how to drive sk- uh, stick shift. So he could go do oh, the yeah. thing. He was the only person to ever like do that without a stick up to that point. It was really funny to watch. So he was really, really charismatic the entire time on the show. It was just a good time. So yeah, he's that's a great, yeah, he's very charismatic. And the thing with I've yet to find a doctor that I didn't like in real life. Mm-hmm. They all are very cool. They're all really nice people, and they're really good with the fans. I think they all really enjoy the fan base, which is a lot to ask. I mean, you ask, look yeah. at Star Trek actors, and you look at Star Wars, and you look at Doctor Who, and the fans are just always going to be there, mm-hmm. and it's always going to be um, a thing. But yeah, if you want to start the series, um, and you don't want to start with um, Eccleston, which I suggest you do, but if you don't, David Tennant's a great place to start, and so is Matt Smith. Matt Smith actually is a clean start, where he gets a new companion um, and a new kind of story arc from um, from his get-go so he's actually a really clean place to start there's also a new writer at that time um Stephen Moffat started writing at that time one of the cool things um actually they announced is that the new series after this next one is going to be uh, written and basically directed by the old um head writers um Russell T Davis so oh. he's the guy who got the series to start again so if you have fond memories of Christopher, Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant um, well, that writer's coming back. I know a lot of people have issues with the current show writer, but um, I never really had any major issues with him. I like the story so far. Of course, I will like any Doctor Who episode, even if it's a turd wrapped in tinfoil. Like this episode's amazing. I, but, um, I've actually, I've actually heard that the the current Doctor's a really fun Doctor to watch. I heard she's very charismatic and oh, just, she's awesome. Yeah, just interacts with the companions, does like the you know the the Doctor running stuff really well. So I haven't watched it. And she did a lot but. of. A lot of cool stuff for like the fan base during COVID. Like she did some videos for kids talking about COVID and stuff that I saw online. I don't know. I just really like how the doctors throughout time have engaged with the fan base and every single one of them is awesome. Yeah. I really do like the new doctor a lot and I'm really sad to see her go. It's funny though, everybody's like, Oh, they're pushing her out. She's gonna she's being replaced, blah blah blah. I'm like, every three years the doctor regenerates. This is the third season. This is the normal time for a doctor to change. Not, I don't think they're pushing her out. I think they're just doing the what the, the they're, format of the show. They're following the format. No, it's just that simple. <laughs> yeah, and it's always kind of funny. It, there's a there's a there's a kind of a cycle that Doctor Who fans have when a new doctor comes in. Where first um, we're angry that the doctor is leaving. Like we want that this doctor. Why are they pushing him out? Blah blah blah. <laughs> he, you know, and then the new doctor comes and is like, oh, I don't like him or her. Like, yeah, no, she's not quite right. He's not quite right. And then it goes full circle at the end. Why are they pushing this guy out? This is my favorite one. Why is she leaving? And it's a whole cycle that every single Doctor, Doctor Who fans go through. It's like they, they don't like it. They don't like change. And the thing that's hilarious is that the Doctors themselves are like that. Whenever they do crossover Doctor Who episodes, a Doctor will go into a TARDIS and be like, ah, I see you redecorated. I don't like it. 
<laughs> you know, things like that. It's like <laughs> it just kind of cracks me up. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you get that with every single game, or uh, sorry, every game, every TV show. Like they make a change, whether it's because they have to for the current, you know, political climate, the current like disease climate. Um, there was that writers' strike that happened here in America a while back. You know, things like that. They mm-hmm. kind of adjust the show, and I feel like Doctor Who has been mostly immune to a lot of that. Um, it's kind of been tried and true, and kind of pulled through on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and Doctor Who fans are okay with breaks because we're used to it. The BBC schedule, if anyone who's been a long-term Doctor Who fan knows, like, okay, you might have not have a season every year for the next four years. It might be, you know, a season here and then two years later or a year later. Oh, here's the other season, that kind of stuff. And they've done that to us quite a bit. Yeah. But at the same time, they've always promised that they will be doing more Doctor Who, so we never felt like the show was canceled. We just knew we had to wait for it. Yeah. So with COVID, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just going to be another wait. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, and that that's a really, I mean, mentally healthy way to view that, in my opinion, to kind of be like, well, when it when it's time, it's time. So, and there's also, there are shows like um, I'm still sad that uh, like Final Space, the cartoon I really like, is not getting a fourth season. I was like, ah, like it got, it, it's like in the middle of what the uh, the writer's like story arc that he wanted, so it was like halfway through like what he was gonna do. But, you know, that, that that just happens. The show is still amazing. But yeah. Trust me, I'm dealing with that with Infinity Train right now. I love Infinity Train, and I'm just begging for another season. Yeah. I, w- I will be talking I mean, about Infinity Train on this show, just so you know. No, good. But, I mean, Firefly fans feel this. You know, any of um, Josh Whedon's fans feel this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think what, Buffy and um, the Vampire Slayer and Angel, the only long-running show mm-hmm. like dollhouse firefly all those things got canceled and then too. uh nevers the show that's on hbo max right now i'm really hoping they keep that going so mm-hmm. but but yeah lots of cool stuff out there doctor who though if you want to start like i said start at whatever doctor looks the most appealing to you mm-hmm. if you know the actor or actress that's playing the doctor and you like i know that person from something i'd like to see them as a doctor then start there. I know a lot of people start with David Tennant for that reason. Yeah, um, David Tennant. You, want... you know, he's he's in everything. He's in Harry Potter. He was in Good Omens. Like he's he's in a lot of these fandoms, yeah. and he's totally a valid place to start. And if you enjoy him, go back and look at the other Doctors. Yeah, I think between David Tennant and um, the um, the girl who plays Amy Pond, um, Karen Gillan, um, those are like the most prolific outside of Doctor Who because mm-hmm. she's in Jumanji. She's in the um Gal- guardians of the galaxy movies and stuff like that so mm-hmm. as a companion it's cool to see her other places i always love it when i see doctor who characters pop up somewhere else I'm like yeah this guy this, this person deserves this it's so cool um what was the gun gunpowder milkshake or something like that i think that's the name what? of the movie that um that she did it's on netflix where she does like this shoot 'em up like action movie where it's just almost mindless violence Stuff, and it was so good. I, I am Dad, googling I just, it right now because I have never heard of this before. Yeah, gunpowder milkshake. I believe is what it's called. Yep, I see it right here. Um, I will put this into my queue. I might watch this by the end of the week. So yeah, so you know, if you like movies like shoot 'em up and stuff like that, it definitely fits in that genre. And yeah, it was just unexpected it just showed up on netflix one day i'm like i'll watch this and it was it was just hilarious my dad ended up watching it with me he normally doesn't like those kind of shows but we both were just cracking up and it was good it's a good show yeah i mean i just think it's a uh, really fascinating that doctor who's kind of you know found a way into your life in so many ways and shapes and form and kind mm-hmm. of i guess i guess it's easy to say it's made, made you the person you are so 
Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things where it's always been with me. Like, ever since I was a kid, we moved around a lot. I think before I hit college, I think my sister did the math. She moved 16 times before she hit college. And um, me, about the same. A lot of times within the same states, but we lived in about four to five different states. And so, yeah, it was always just the thing that was, always was constant. Wherever we went, Doctor was always on. Mm-hmm. And I always liked it because it was a show that had a male lead that used his brain instead of violence to do stuff, which almost all the other shows I watched were all, you know, Batman or something like that. It was all fighting your way to to solve things. Even though Batman should be using his head more often, but the old Batman TV show wasn't really the it detective was, he is it was in the comics. Punch first, ask later. That's how he yeah. used to be. But um, I, I, I know I've told you about this before. One of my favorite episodes is... Um, it's the episode where the doctor actually like goes to this planet where it's like everything is like high society and, and he used a hug and he like cured all these people of all these diseases, you know, through the power of touching him and things like that, rather than, you know, being like, Oh, they're all infected. We must kill them all to save the planet. It was just like, or we could save all of them while we're saving the planet. It's fine. Yeah, I believe that was new, 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 New York or new, new, new earth. I think it's new, new earth. Cause new, 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 new York was when we took Martha later. And that was the one with all the cars. And the congestion. Oh yeah, but, um, I remember that one as well. That's a that's a stressful one to watch. It's a stressful one to watch and very interesting because the whole thing takes place. Well, most of it takes place in cars. So he's jumping from a car to car. So there's all these like really small sets and stuff like that, which is mm-hmm. an interesting way to film it. But um, but yeah, like I said, Doctor Who can pretty much do anything, and it it stays a lot t- a lot of time on Earth. But he does a lot of alien stuff as well, and he does a lot of past stuff. Which I always love the past episodes. The Van Gogh episode in particular is mm-hmm. incredibly moving. Um, but yeah, I don't really want to spoil any episodes. So I don't really want to go into too yeah. much depth. But um, I will say um, my absolute favorite episode is Enlightenment. And that's the one episode that if you can watch one of the old episodes, that's what I would watch. It's my absolute favorite. It's this crazy story about these immortals who live outside of our space who don't have the ability to create their own thoughts and like motivations. So they use what they call um, ethereal minds or human minds or whatever in our universe to kind of help them think and realize what they want. And so they only exist when we are around them. So they got pulled out of this world and put into this giant race. And whoever won the race could become gods basically in our universe because they have all this power and they can make things out of the minds and so they're doing this race and it's this crazy naval like ship race across our solar system so you have like ship of the lines and like viking ships and old greek row ships and stuff like that going in this race around the solar system and it's 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 an amazing visual i just love the sci-fi of it and i love the whole story arc it's just great yeah and i'm actually looking at the pictures right now it's um it definitely has that like old 1980s battlestar galactica look to it but like with like you mm-hmm. know like the the cutouts and stuff but like it's really cool looking like there's like these like sailboats floating through space like near like the rings of saturn and stuff it's really fascinating to look at so it's funny when you go back there and you look at some of the old campy shows and it's really because they didn't have the budget that they um went to like using models but then the models actually hold up better like star wars the old star wars yeah. movies yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact they use physical models makes it hold up so much better than if they tried to use any of the video technology of the time yeah like uh dune with the uh, the shields the little like boxy yes. shields <laughs> <laughs> It's the so, slow knife that penetrates. The slow yes. knife that penetrates. I That's like, bend like a up. reed in the wind. Yes. 
Here's the mind killer. <laughs> um. Anyways, I think that's probably a good place to stop the Doctor yeah, Who yeah, chat. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think we kind of covered it. Um, start at um, any actor you like, but if you want to watch new stuff, do David Tennant. Um, and if you want to do some of the older stuff, Tom Baker, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. So just go to the episode ones of them, and they'll explain it as they go. Yeah. Or roll a dice. Pick a doctor by rolling the dice. That's really acceptable. Yeah. But yeah, just just really the first episode of a Doctor's Regeneration is always going to be great. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's Doctor Who. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Nate. Um, I know we said we were going to be using this middle section to kind of read off comments, but um, me and Andrew kind of expect with this being only the second episode, we still wouldn't really have any comments to read. So we just want to use this chance to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast and supporting us on our social media. Um, if you do have a nerdy thing you want to talk about, please leave it in the comments. Um, until then, thank you so much for listening to the show. Goodbye. All right, welcome back. Thank you for bearing with us while we took a little break. Um, now it's my turn in the Player 2 slot. I'm going to be talking about a wonderful trilogy called the Leviathan Trilogy. Yeah, um, before we get into that, I just had a quick question for you. Yeah. What have you been reading recently? Since we're talking about books and all. Um, it, it may surprise you. I am actually currently reading a steampunk uh, novel. I Apparently he's writing another uh, one. Shock. but I'm shock so much shock um it's called the uh, aeronauts windless it's by jim butcher um the okay. same author of like uh dresden files and things like that but um i i just found out that he's writing another book in this series i don't know when it'll come out but i'm pretty excited i'm about 90 percent into it and i'm kind of curious how it like wraps up because it's kind of already wrapped up but just really cool world building but um are, are you reading anything at the moment i am reading something um well i just finished reading um a few weeks ago a book called shades of gray not to be confused with uh the 50 shades of gray but regular this one's just shades of gray it's by an author named jasper ford and it is a very interesting book um basically about a society that bases its hierarchy on color and the hues of color you can see in people um who can see green or better than people who can see um just red and things like that so there's a lot of different weird things in the world it's kind of if you like um, kind of interesting off the wall type stories, kind of something like Douglas Adamsy feeling. This is a definitely a good book for you. It's a it's a really fun book to read, and um, there's gonna be a sequel for this one coming out sometime soon. It's actually a sequel and a prequel at the same time, which is gonna be interesting. Does it have like that like humor thing to it that Douglas Adams has, or just that like off the walls <laughs> writing style of Douglas Adams? Because it's two very different like houses of Douglas Adams writing. So. Yeah. I didn't miss the uh, this, miss the pun there, the humor in this. <laughs> but yes, it um it doesn't have exactly the same. Like he doesn't go on the tangents of like, um you find out the guy who's about to bulldoze in your house is related to Genghis Kong and that kind of like those like those things. But it's just kind of an interesting world and it just I don't know the best way to for me to put it is a world that doesn't really quite make sense, but it does in the in, to you when you read the book. It makes sense yeah. within the world. Yeah. So, yeah, um, um, Douglas Adams did it really well with his Dirk Dentley series, actually. Um, and I think Neil Gaiman does it as well, very well, with his stories where he takes the absurd and makes you feel like that is the norm in the mm -hmm. world. Like, oh, that, that that's just normal. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And this, this 
This book is very good, and I highly suggest um, highly suggest it. I liked it a lot. Cool. Well, I guess without further ado, we'll start talking about um, the world of Leviathan. I don't really want to talk about the story too much because I really hate spoiling a story. Um, pretty much the most I really want to do to spoil it is I just want to read the back cover of the book just to start off. Again, this is a series uh, called Leviathan. There's three books in the series. The first one being called Leviathan. The second one's called Behemoth. And then the final one is called uh, Goliath. So, you know, kind of has that progression of naming and stuff. But um, they're um, written by an author named Scott Westerfell. Um, really great author. I think his writing style is really good. He's kind of short and simplistic with his writing style, but he like tells really good, vivid stories while he's doing it. And then he also has a companion um, illustrator that's in all these books. His name is Keith Thompson. Does wonderful illustrations. If you like illustrations you see in like teenage books and like children's books, you'll love these. They have that like whole finesse art style that like captures a whole scene in like one art style. It's really mm -hmm. cool. But um, the the back of the book uh, kind of sums uh, sums it up really well. It says, "Choose your weapon, beast or clanker." Um, Alec is a prince without a throne on the run from his own people. He has only a fighting machine and a small band of men. Darren is a uh, girl disguised as a guy in the British Armed Service. She must fight for her cause and protect her secrets at all costs. Al um, Alec and Darren are thrown together aboard the mighty ship Leviathan. Though fighting side by side, their worlds are far apart. British fabricated beasts versus German steam-powered war machines. There are enemies with everything to lose, yet somehow destined to be together. So I think that book kind of captures it right up front. That this isn't your typical wartime story of, you know, oh, we were on this side and we're on that side and we came together and things like that. Like, this really tells an interesting story of, like, in Britain, they don't use technology you would see in today's world. They basically use these fabricated beasts that are, like, Leviathan specifically being, like, this gigantic floating hydrogen-filled whale. Like, an actual whale. That description you gave about the books, you know, the back of the giant whale and stuff like that. I also get a feeling that this is not alternative history. It's not like a Harry Turtle dove where one little thing of history changed. It's a whole other world that happens to have the same type of history we have, like a different yeah. technology completely for everything else. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it, this still takes place. Um, there's still Britain, there's still France, there's still Germany, there's still the Ottoman Empire in a way, shape, and form. There's the Hungarian section of it all. It's all here in this like turn of the century, you no know, 20th century mm -hmm. world where technology is kind of coming into its own fruition. Um, and it tells a great story that basically leads up to the start of World War One, as we know it. You know, as it was referred to back then, the Great War, and they talk about it in great detail and. They go to these very key spots during the war at different times. The only difference being is um, they spend most of it atop a giant floating whale that is <laughs> armed with um, these crazy, I talked about in the intro, um, they're called hydrogen sniffers. They're like these little like six-legged dogs that were actually like, they mixed different fabrications of different beasts together. So they're part insect and they're part dog and part things like that. So they have six legs that are very insectoid and can crawl on the sides of walls, but then they have two heads with two noses and two mouths, so they can really sniff and kind of take in what's going on. But they're still cuddly and cute like dogs are, and um, there's pictures in the book that kind of show them, and you're like, ugh, aww, kind of cute <laughs> like that. But um, it just tells a really good job of like creating that things like that, um, and like. There's um, in the second book, there's an um, an American uh, journalist who has like a bulldog 
that he kind of treats like a recording device where he puts it down and tells him, hey, start recording for me. And he will literally listen to everything Mm -hmm. that is said in the area for a whole hour, and then he will repeat it right back to him so he can write it down later and publish it. And then he has, like, a really cool camera that has, like, a giant firefly in it because this is, you know, the turn of the century. There wasn't really photography and things as we know it. So it had that big, you know, flashing bulb that we see in, like, the old-timey movies where, like, they would break the bulb and change it out put a new one in. He would just feed his firefly a couple sugar cubes and then be all happy hunky-dory. What, what do they feed a giant leviathan then if they um, feed that sugar cubes? Actually, that's that's the perfect thing to talk about on this, honestly, is um, the leviathan being a giant whale. It's humongous. You know, like it looks like a zeppelin. They actually have this whole ecosystem that exists within the leviathan itself. Um, they actually have like a whole like gathered group of bees and like different animals that will leave the ship and go and collect pollen and bring it back and make honey and things like that. And they'll like periodically land and just pick up pure buckets of flour and things like that. And they will just literally like manually put this food into the Leviathan's stomach. So he's like constantly, you know, producing hydrogen and floating and being Mm -hmm. taken care of and can repair himself. And this is kind of where the whole Darwinist like aspect comes to this is um, there's the Darwinists and there's the clinkers, the Darwinists being so focused on, you know, like the living creatures and like they take care of themselves and like, we don't have to like, fuel them up and repair them they take care of themselves as long as we take care of them it's kind of that whole thing but when you kind of break it down and compare that the clinkers is mostly like that like german industrial like hoo-ha style of thing but more traditional steampunk yeah but like there's there's no tanks there's not a, a tank in sight everything is on two walking legs or four walking legs six walk uh six oh, like, walking legs like- not like a military tank, but there's like steam tanks and stuff like that. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And they like okay. lumber around on like big walking legs, go ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And they have like these giant grasping legs and arms and things like that. They even have submarines that go underneath the water that actually have physical arms to fight krakens that are also oh, cool. used by the British Army that are giant. So like you can kind of picture that like really cool underwater combat style of like a giant submarine with arms fighting with a giant kraken. So... It's just a really cool setting, and yeah, yeah, I quite like the just the picturesque of it. Because yeah, before you told me that they have that whole ecosystem, so you said it was bees that and they make honey. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. So the to bees gather the up honey and they they feed it to the leviathan, and then okay. the leviathan turns around and like uses that to like lift them up. And um, even beyond that, in the leviathan, there's also like a whole aviary of like different insects and things like that. They have these uh, lizards that run around and, you know, instead of having, like, communication pipes and things like that where they'd be like, hold steady and blah, 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 they would have lizards that they would just say, record what I say, and then, like, say it, and the lizard would just run off in a direction and just spout it off over and over again so that everyone knows. So they don't, like, ring yeah. bells. They just send a lizard on its merry way. And it's, it's like just a wonderful. telephone lizard. Yeah, yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> That's way better than I thought. Because uh, when you said, uh, when I was envisioning him, I just saw this giant whale flying through the air and, like, like, Eating says any plankton, it would eat like whole flocks of pigeons or something like that. Oh. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a really cool setting. Um, it's funny actually. The very first interaction you really have in the book with these beasts is um when Darren is you know trying to join the military. She's going through the course and things like that, and she actually gets stuck on this like weird lizard um sh- like uh, squid mixture thing that turns into like a kind of what you picture as like a hot air balloon. And it drifts up into the uh, sky and gets unleashed from the tether because a giant storm comes. And instead of, you know, like the typical thing you hear all the time where, like, 
the hot air balloon got a rip in it and it fell to the ground and everyone died. She was just like, it's okay, Beastie. It's fine. Everything's fine. You're okay. And the Beast is like, oh, okay. So, like, the Beast came down calm and gentle and that kind of whole thing. But but um, I, I feel like I'm focusing a lot on, like, the Darwinist aspect of this all because, you know, it's, like, really kind of a new thing to talk about. Um, because, like, they had, you know, like, the Kraken, Leviathan, they had those really cool uh, hydrogen sniffers, like the weird spider dog things. Um, the character that um, actually constantly yells out, barking spiders, every time she's, like, complains about something, she's like, oh, barking spiders, is, like, her go-to, like, curse in there, and it's, like, <laughs> like I was re-listening to the audiobook again, just to kind of get it fresh in my brain, and I was saying that a couple times at work when I was running, I was like, oh, oh barking, barking spiders, spiders, I can't get this pipe loose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's just it's just a fun little book but um but even aside from just like all like the cool animals and things like that they kind of do this cool thing where um they go to these like pla um these regions that are like a mixture of like this darwinist like technology of like mm -hmm. the bio thing and like that super like industrial clinker aspect they go to like um, really cool places like Istanbul, not Constant not Constant Constantinople. It's Istanbul. Always remember. Yeah. But um, they go there and they have like these um, these wonderfully mechanical creatures, like walking whales that are very human or very animal esque and like move like animals do because like they were able to kind of merge the technology of walking, watching an elephant walk and like turning into like a walker. And kind of make making these like really majestic creatures that kind of blend the two together. But I guess the only other thing I want to talk about really is um kind of like the state of like Darwinists versus Clinkers versus like the middle ground on it. Um, mm -hmm. So it kind of breaks down like how World War One broke down. Um, the Darwinists are the English, the French, and the Russians as like the primary like they use Darwin technology. With the secondaries oh, yeah. being uh, Belgium, um, Italy, Greece, Romania, and Serbia. And then um, on the clanker side, you have the typical German, Austro-Hungary, and uh, the Ottoman Empire. But um, the other things that are on there, too, is um, you have Sweden, Ethiopia, and Afghanistan. Which is kind of an interesting, like, when you break it down, um, they kind of explain a little bit in it, is Germany was more active further south and into like north into north africa and things like that so their technology kind of traveled more that direction um than like the english who were just kind of like eh, blah 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 we're doing this and this is our thing but where you get into this really fascinating uh middle ground is um when you go to countries like america um japan and even ob obviously switzerland is you get this like very mix of the two technologies the perfect example being again that american photographer where he uses a camera that uses like physical digital or not digital, but like physical technology mixed with living technology to like take a picture and things yeah, like that cool. and how he kind of blends all that together. So um, I'm sure there's more information about that out there. I'm sure Scott Westerfeld has some cool things. Oh, um, the other fun factoid at the end of every one of his books, he does a, uh, here's what I put into the book and here's how much of it is true. And here's what I changed to make the book work. Oh, that's really cool. So he kind of talks about like these people did exist. This thing did exist. This thing existed as a, as a ship, not as, you know, like a tank or like a walk or things like that. Like I just repurposed the name and he talks about like the weird things that happen. It's really fascinating. So that's a really cool, cool tidbit to add to your stories. Cause when you have that grain of truth in there, you know, as a reader, I would just assume everything is fiction, but having that at the very mm -hmm. end and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. 
it's cool how he integrated like real life events and stuff into it mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, awesome um yeah again i talked about the second book a lot because that one stuck with me a lot for some reason because uh, it takes goliath? place uh yeah goliath um that one takes place um in um istanbul which no, i've always behemoth. Found... Sorry, oh sorry behemoth yeah behemoth, yeah behemoth um it takes place in istanbul which i've always found to be a very fascinating region of the planet um there's a mm-hmm. lot going on there um but he kind of talks about like hey here's things you don't know about world war one that are actually super important that happen in istanbul so it's pretty cool but um yeah a lot of people yeah. forget about how many countries were touched by world war one like mm-hmm. world war two um the countries that normally get like uh, overlooked are like hungary and romania and mm-hmm. stuff like that and the, the or, Finns. or egypt egypt like even egypt, egypt yeah. people forget about <laughs> And there's a lot of different places that the battles raged on. Um, but World War One, it was huge. The battles hit a bunch of countries that now don't even exist. Um, yeah. Like the Ottoman Empire yeah. is mm-hmm. no longer there. And so um, not not in the same form. And so yeah. it's it's very interesting. Um, it's very interesting history. But it's a, it's a lot of things that people don't really understand because they don't realize that some of those countries no longer mm-hmm. exist. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's really what it comes down to is me kind of being the history buff that I am. And I really like that like mm-hmm. Victorian era all the way up to world war one. I've always found that whole region of humanity very fascinating because that's like the age of exploration. And like, that's where you get like, you know, Frankenstein, like the original science fiction and things like that. It all kind of comes out of that mm-hmm. like writing style. So it's really fun to see authors venturing back into that, like time for me, like that, like setting and kind of writing their own information for it. Um, like, um, I love talking about Solus. I think it's one of my favorite, like, uh, cyber or um, one of my favorite steampunk settings. It takes place in, like, Victorian mm-hmm. era with, like, zombies and vampires and, and werewolves and ghosts. And, like, it's just fun, but it's all Victorian. It's very uh, Pride and Prejudice. You know, my mother put me on the, uh, put me up on the shelf because she thinks I'll never find a husband, but she also, like, hunts vampires. So it kind of has that, like, cool thing going for it. I mean, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a book that exists. I I highly recommend reading that. Um, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer, um, kind of captures that whole. You know, I I like period pieces. I think that's the easiest way to say it. I like period pieces, and I like that steampunk kind of creates period pieces. That being and said, steampunk, steampunk is, is a period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's true. But like, but if you look at um, Jim Butcher's current book I'm reading, it takes place in a distant future, but it's steampunk. So, That's cool. so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But these yeah. books um, are interesting. I was just thinking about the names because you know we're just talking about that a little bit. You know, the uh, the first one being Leviathan, the next one being Behemoth, the last one being Goliath. They're all mm-hmm. you know names for big things. But I always it's interesting because it seems like the big things in my mind because the way I associate those words are getting smaller. Like Leviathan is like the biggest. Behemoth is kind of in the middle, and then Goliath in my mind because I think of David Goliath, it's just a giant person. So it's like it just kind of comes, it shrinks down. I wonder if that has anything to do with the story, or or if he just went for um, large words. You'll kinda. you'll have to read to find out. It's a very important thing. Um, that that being said, there. Um, so when you look at these books on shelves, they look very intimidating. They're they're big, huge, like just rotum novels, but they're filled with great pictures. They have a lot of extra information on them. Um, realistically, this book is. It says it's 469 pages, but it's written in, uh, like, size, probably 14 font, double space, with pictures. It's glorious. It's They look good on your bookshelf. They have, like, this really nice, like, holograph thing going on them. I'm assuming they're still using that style. I've had these books for 
I don't know, 10 years now at this point. So, Would you say the age for them is about young adult? Was kind of yeah, they are, they, are, they are officially considered young adults, so they are 12 to yeah. 16, but... You know, so yeah, you you're not gonna tackle anything incredibly difficult to read then. In a, yeah, yeah. In a young and, adult and like novel. I said, his but writing yeah. style is simplistic and everything you need it to be. Simplistic gets such a bad rep as far as like a writing yeah. style, but it he says everything he needs to say without saying more and not leaving anything out. I think that's the best kind of writing you can do. I, yeah. I think it is worth noting at this point, so early in the show, I do read approximately four books a week, give or take. And um, with my new current job, um, I get to work with headphones in all the day. So I've been taking full advantage of my Libby app and nice. Audacity. So um, I have increased to reading about two or three audiobooks a week on top of my four. So seven a week. I hope you're ready for a lot of book stuff in the future. <laughs> yeah, I can only get about one every two weeks done. But my problem mm-hmm. is with audio, even with audiobooks and regular books, is especially when it's a one book or if it's the last book in the series – I will milk that last book for as long as possible because <laughs> I don't want it to end. Um, mm-hmm. If there's a word for like the the like almost traumatic sadness when you finish a series, like you just kind of it feels like you lost a good friend. <laughs> it's like yeah. you just kind of go into a small depression for a day or two until you find a new book series. You you have to do what I what I do. You have to gobble a novel down and then go read all the fanfic people have written for it after that because there's yeah, always some out the there. Fanfic. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I th- yeah, I, I guess uh, we've hit the point where we've wrapped up talking about Leviathan and now we're rambling yeah. again. So uh, let's just say um, Leviathan, Scott Westerfeld. It's fantastic. I highly recommend you uh, check out his writing. It's it's very good and steampunk. So and I will um, take up that recommendation and start listening to it tonight. Yeah, please do. Um, other than that, um, outros. Um, I do have one thing I do want to talk about and then we can go back to more silliness. Um it is October, everyone. It is time to start thinking about NaNoWriMo. Um, if you don't know what NaNoWriMo is, it is National Novel Writing Month. Um, it's something I try and participate in every year. Um, I'm really hard I, hard for me to do. I have a pretty busy work schedule and things like that, but like I've really decided I'm going to get 50,000 words. I'm not going to cut off at 20,000 like I did last year. Um <laughs> Um, to to describe it a little bit better, it's just um, every November is National Novel Writing Month. There's an official website for it. You just go to nanorimo n a n o w r i m o dot org. You just sign up on there. There's a huge community for it. There's a whole bunch of like things on there, and the whole point is to put fifty thousand words onto paper. They yeah, don't have to be pretty words. It doesn't have to be like a full novel. You just put fifty thousand words on paper. It's basically an exercise to prove that you can do it. Yeah. Like, I can get there. Yeah. And even if you don't make it, I mean, be kind to yourself with these kind of competitions, yeah. you know. Don't rack yourself over the coals if you don't get it done. But mm-hmm. take it as a challenge and take it as like a, let's see if I can do this. And go for it. It's one of yeah. those things where it's just, it's going to be beneficial. Even if you, nothing comes of it, it's just going to be yeah. fun. Yeah. And I mean, um, they they it's called National Novel Writing Month, but it can really be anything you want to. If you want to write a whole collection of short stories, if you want to put together an entire poetry um, anthology, uh, they're not called anthology. What are they called? Collections, I guess. Yeah, a collection of poetry. Um, or if you just have like, if you need to write an instruction manual for work, <laughs> now is the time to do it. But um. If you think about 50,000, it's a scary number. The easier way to think about it is that's 1,666.666667 
words per day. If you can make yourself write about 1,750 words a day, the math on that is that's about seven pages a day. It doesn't sound so scary to do. And you can even do like, oh, this day I'm going to write this many because I have things going on. Because let's let's be real, Thanksgiving's coming up. How are you going to actually be writing the night before Thanksgiving and the day of Thanksgiving? Going to have to take those things into factor. But And if you can't think... If you can't think of a story that would be that long, write a bunch of short stories. Yeah. You know, do whatever you want to. Maybe write a couple poems and write. Just just write. That's really the, the yeah. core is write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just a cool exercise. Um, There's, I think, millions of people participate every year. You could easily be one of them. Like, it's it's just a cool concept. So, NaNoWriMo, go do it. Um, I've already kind of put it out that I'm going to be working on it. I already have something I've been outlining. Um. I'm now going to challenge Andrew to see if he wants to participate. <laughs> do you think you can uh, do 50,000? You going to try? I definitely will try. Um, I have a couple ideas. Mine actually might be um, I'm trying to work on a few uh, board game stories, backstories and stuff like that. So I might actually work on world building um, exercises and maybe make a small story that would go along with um, one of my more unique worlds that I'm working on for a board game. So I might I might take the challenge on for that, but Maybe at the end of um, our episodes from once November starts, we might uh, give you guys an update on our word count. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. maybe our Twitter account, we can do like a weekly update on there, something along those lines. Ooh, yeah, so. that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I also have something that I would like to talk about. Um, one of the cool things that I saw coming out, um, I touched a little bit earlier on one of the things, but there's two series, uh, TV series coming out that I'm super excited about uh, the wheel of time, which we kind of talked about earlier on prime. I'm super stoked about seeing that world visualized. It's one of those things where like, I want to see how they do the hometown, how they do the, um, the look of the female um, mages and that, and all that stuff. I'm just very curious about the look and feel of the whole thing. And yeah, this is yeah, going to be hard. Um, Cause it, their men can't do magic anymore in the wheel of time anymore. Right? Like they did something where they ruined the magic. So only the women can. Yep, and of course I've already read it, so I, I'm probably mispronouncing this, but like the, I think the women are called like I should I, or something on that line, and they're the 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 ones that can do it. And the men actually can do magic, but magic for men have been has been tainted by like an old god way back when, and so they they go mad, and ex- like that's can right, end up that's what it killing was. thousands yeah. of people. But there's also this prophecy that there is going to be a male mage coming that will. Um, defeat this evil god person and restore the balance of magic and so they're lo- always looking for the dragon so at the same time where they're like killing every male magic user there is out there or um basically lobot- lobotomizing them um which is one thing they do um they also on look for the one who will fulfill this prophecy so it's always the kind of like is he going to fulfill the prophecy or is he just going to kill everyone <laughs> you know type thing kind of has a Warhammer 40k uh, death to the Psyker aspect to it. Like, Psykers are good, but don't trust the Psyker. Exactly. And it's definitely your classic um, call of the hero type his, uh, fantasy novel where you're born into this prophecy and you're going to basically Harry Potter, exactly the same thing when you break down to like the tropes that you see in these things where he was born to a prophecy and um, he will fulfill it theoretically through the story i haven't finished the books i'm on book 14 to, to kind of name how many books and these are not small books they're quite no, they're, novels. they are like 750 pages each aren't they yeah, yeah. and so I've, I've i've converted to uh, audiobooks um to listen to them now but yeah i'm very excited about that series 
hey, you're, getting, course, your money, you're getting your money's worth on audacity if you're doing it that way so yes <laughs> oh you mean um audible oh yeah sorry yeah. on audible yeah yeah yes the audacity um the other series I'm super stoked about is Cowboy Bebop, the live action series. Yes, I have only seen the screenshots for this so far, and um, tentatively, I'm excited. Um, I saw the screenshots, and I saw their intro. They, they posted the intro to the show, which heavily mirrors the original intro, and the music is spot on, which is the biggest part of like the world building for me at this point. What they can show me is that they, that they got the jazzy music right. Yeah, I love the music of Cowboy Bebop and the show itself. I think we talked about this before, but the show itself to me, as an anime, feels like it's like it's the anime version of jazz. It's like yes. it's not a flowing, a smooth flowing story. It has uh, like some random turns and twists and stuff like that. And I just really like the feel of the show and just like how deep it can get sometimes and how ridiculous it can get other times. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up the show right there. So, um, yeah, you know, Doc- Doctor about. Who, watch Doctor Who, uh, Leviathan, read three books by Leviathan, um, write a novel, and then yes. uh, watch uh, The Wheel of Time and when that comes out, and then watch Cowboy Bebop when that comes out. So, yeah, The Wheel of Time, I believe, is, is this um, October. So we should be seeing that mid-October, I yeah. think. So it'll be quite cool. Perfect. But Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um you can mm-hmm. find Andrew on his YouTube channel if you want to go ahead and plug that right here. Yeah, um, Time Lapse GS is my YouTube channel name. Um, and yeah, I just do a lot of video games, board games. I'm working on magic content to talk about deck techs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, right now, the most part, I just play video games with my nephews. And that's what yeah. we do. It's fun. And then um, I, I just work a lot, but I am kind of working on getting an Instagram going a little bit more where I kind of share less pictures of my mm-hmm. dog. Although I will still have pictures of my dog on there, but less pictures of my dog and more maybe writing prompts or something along those lines. I'm trying to get more writing going again in my life, kind of that spur up my creativity a little bit. So so uh, thank, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nate. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Fundamental Nerd Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. I just wanted to start by saying thank you to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song, One-Eyed Maestro, from Incomptech. You can find a link to that in our show notes, as well as a link to all of our social media and some links to the topics that we talked about today. We'd also like to use this chance to invite you all to uh, share some comments either here on some of our social media options, and we might read those on the next show. Beyond that, uh, we can't wait to record the next episode and talk about some more topics next week. Until then, live your best life and enjoy the weird things that you love. Goodbye.